Amen. Well, I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to John 9. We're going to be there today. A familiar story if you've been around church a while. One of uh, my favorite passages of Scripture, John 3, that John chapter 3 through chapter 9 is a great uh, picture uh, of our Savior, and we're going to be in John 9 today. But as we do that, I want to remind you again, today is Valentine's Day, in case you forgot. So, hey, love the people around you well. Um, Sometimes that involves money, sometimes it doesn't. So love them well. And I remind you that today we're going to talk about, as we look at this passage, uh, our vision statement. I've shared our vision statement with you a lot. Uh, Hopefully you kind of have it, or at least the main words, uh, to prepare and send. Those are the big first words. Disciple-making missionaries, that's you. And what are you going to do? Strengthen families, love neighbors, and transform communities with the gospel. And a year ago, uh, during this time, we launched a little something called Prepare the Way, uh, which was a capital initiative uh, to raise funds so that we could create a space for our neighbor. And the good news now is, uh, thanks to coronavirus, we have to create more space uh, for every neighbor just because we have to be a little farther apart. But as a part of that, uh, we redid our stage, uh, we renovated this, thankfully, uh, because it gave us more flexibility. Uh, We added a brand new parking lot and the beautiful sign you see outside. At some point, you'll get to see uh, what's on the screen before you as we create a brand new entry point for our church called the Commons and extend the beginning of the building. And uh, you may not know this or remember, and, and I realize that uh, those of us that are here uh, on staff think about these kinds of things a thousand times more than you do, Uh, but it's something that I'm very thankful for. Uh, What you may not know or remember is that last year, over a three-week period, we raised in cash $1.2 million in three weeks. That's amazing. Yeah. See, uh, Matt Matt Parker is leading the way. The rest of you should be excited about that too, because not just everybody raises $1.2 million. And in addition to that, you um, and me too, I guess, uh, we pledged an additional $1.8 million uh, to see these things happen. So I'm excited about that. Uh, We need about another million dollars or so uh, in that. Uh, And so as you're continuing to pray about, uh, we paused the campaign officially uh, during the global pandemic called coronavirus. Uh, But uh, I was pleased. I was thankful. I was grateful last week. Uh, We had over $35,000 given uh, to the Prepare the Way campaign. And so I want to, again, thank you. Uh, on behalf of our staff, our leadership, our facilities team, who've done a great job uh, of leading the way. Thank you for your generosity and faithfulness. Uh, We're going to continue to create space for our neighbors, not just physically uh, here on our campus, but I pray that you create space for your neighbors in your life. Um, And that's the real goal uh, for us, is to create space for our neighbors in our lives so we can invest them. And this story today, this account of Jesus tells us that. And and so I want to ask you a question before we dive in. Uh, Have you ever felt out of place? Maybe uh, you moved and went to a new school and didn't know anybody, and so you felt kind of weird at first, and you weren't unsure, you were unsure of how to navigate it. Maybe a new job, and the human resources department wasn't very good, and they didn't introduce you to people. They didn't tell you where the bathrooms were or anything like that. Uh, they didn't talk about the unwritten rules at the office place, uh, and so you felt odd. Or maybe, uh, students, this might be true of you, uh, one of your friends invited you to an event or a party, and the only person you knew there was your friend, 
And it's sort of like, mm, okay. And so you sort of cling on to them the whole time because you don't know anybody else there. Maybe you've been in a situation where you're the oldest person in the room by a long shot or the youngest in the room by a long shot. And you're like, hmm, did I get the wrong memo? Should I even be here? Uh, maybe uh, you're a single adult on Valentine's Day in a married-driven suburb. Maybe you feel a lot of place. Or if you've ever been on a, with a friend and he or she took their significant other on a date and invited you along, you're the illustrious third wheel. We've all been out of place from time to time. We've felt alone or isolated or awkward. We've been troubled. All of those things are true at certain times of our life. But I want to look at a story of a man who was out of place for his entire life. His whole life, he was out of place. And as we read this story, I'm going to tell you, we're going to read the first half. I'm going to summarize the middle half and then the middle half, the middle section, and then I'll bring back the ending. We'll read it together. But as we read this and as you hear this story, many of you know it, I want you to think about who am I in this story? Who do I identify with in this passage? This is the the story of the man born blind. And so if you've got your Bible, John chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says this, as he, that's Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's one of the seven I am statements Jesus proclaimed in the book of John. I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. I know some of you have said that before. I'm the man. Different situation here. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. He receives his sight after being blind his entire life. The people are so astonished, they don't know exactly what to do, so they take him to the synagogue. Surely our religious leaders will help us understand this situation. So they take him to the Pharisees and the Pharisees ask him the same questions. How did this happen? I don't know. They bring the parents in. The parents say, this is our son. This is our son, but he's old enough. Ask him because they were scared of getting kicked out of the synagogue themselves. And then the man, one of the greatest statements of all time, all I know 
is I was blind and now I see. That's his declaration. That's the extent of his knowledge and understanding. I was blind and now I see. And they didn't like that. They didn't like any of his answers. They didn't like his questions back to them because even in his newfound, not even quite developed faith, he asked them, the Pharisees, if they want to follow Jesus as well. And you know that made them excited and happy. They were dancing for joy with that question. And so they kicked him out of the temple. And after they had kicked him out of the temple, Jesus finds him. And if you want to pick the story back up in verse 39, I want to read along with you. Verse 35, it says this. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Then Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world for those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. This is a fascinating account, an interaction between a man who most everyone in the world sees as an outcast, a cast off, a sinner, someone who is unimportant. And Jesus, as he's passing by, stops and engages him. I wonder who has God put in your life that no one else is paying attention to. And yet he's put that person in your path for you. That's this story. This man was on Jesus' path for one reason and one reason only. So that the works of God might be displayed. Would you like the works of God to be displayed in your life? Let me ask it a different way. Would you like the works of God to be displayed in your life? Thank you very much. There you go. I know it's Valentine's Day. It's cold outside. We're a little groggy. But God's word brings life and light wherever it goes. He's full of grace and mercy. And he was sent to the spiritually isolated. That's where Jesus went. Jesus was sent to the spiritually isolated. Here this guy is, born blind. And the very first question the disciples ask, who sinned, this man or his parents? The common belief in that day was that if if you had some ailment, deficiency, handicap, something was wrong with you, it was because of sin. Your sin or someone you're related to's sin. Who sinned? So you can imagine everybody in that culture didn't want anything to do with him because, oh, this man's a sinner, or his parents are. Isolated spiritually because of his blindness. Isolated because no one wants to be around a sinner. Isolated because he, in his own mind, thinks that he has no chance at a right relationship with God. No chance. He's an outcast. He's spiritually isolated. 
And even when he finally does receive his sight and this great miracle occurs in his life, he gets taken before the Pharisees. And what do they say to him? They say, give God the glory. That's a phrase that they use in verse 28. 24. Verse 24. And that isn't like, hey, let's all praise God, raise our hands and celebrate Jesus. No, that means tell the truth because we know you're lying. So even when a great miracle happens to him and he goes to the people who are supposed to encourage and honor and develop him and disciple him and help him grow in his faith, they accuse him of lying. And so here he is, isolated, reviled by these men. Because when he asked them to be a disciple of Jesus, they say, oh no, we're disciples of Moses. We've got the real answers in our place. I don't want to hear your crazy talk. We follow Moses. We've got the real spiritual goodness here. We've got the right answers. And so you can see, not just for 30 or 40 years of his own life, but even when he goes to the people who are supposed to encourage him in his faith, he gets rejected over and over again. Because why? Because you were born entirely in sin, they tell him. And you're trying to teach us the great thing about God is that God displays his works of majesty and love and truth through everyone, not just those who follow Jesus. Sometimes it takes the person who's far from God to teach us something because we've missed it. We've gotten a little too high and mighty. We think we have all the answers. We're right. And though that might be true, Sometimes in our rightness, we miss the relational side. And these Pharisees, they missed an opportunity for spiritual connection with a man who had had a miracle in his life. And those are the very people that Jesus was sent to, the very people that he sends us to, those who are spiritually isolated, those who are guilty, those who feel shamed, those who are hurt, those that feel like they're never good enough for God. That's who God puts in your path. That's who he puts along the way for you. But not just the, the spiritually isolated. Jesus was sent to the economically isolated. This guy begged for food. That's what he did. He had no resources. He had no opportunity for resources. He didn't live in the right city or the right town. He wasn't close enough to the temple. He couldn't even get in the temple. He didn't have the right job, would never get the right job. And he sure wasn't a part of the right social order because of his condition. And the one place where he camped out, the one place that he should have been able to receive help from, he didn't. The temple, the people of God. And so as you and I walk through life, I feel like sometimes I'm like the Pharisee, uh, the disciples. And they ask the question, Jesus, who sinned? That's my question sometimes when I pass by the person holding the sign at 45 and 2351. I wonder what their story is. I wonder what the backstory is. I wonder how they got to this point. I'm more concerned about the backstory than I am their story in the moment. And God places us in every one of those moments not just to figure it out for ourselves, but to bring healing and hope and light 
to a dark place. Jesus was sent to those who were spiritually isolated, those who were economically isolated, and those who were relationally isolated. Can you imagine being blind from birth, and then all of a sudden, you have your sight restored, whether you're 15 or 65 here today, having your sight restored, and you really don't know who to tell. It's obvious by the story, even the part that we read, that even after he gained his sight, he didn't have enough close relationships in the community for people to say, oh, oh my goodness, yes, you can see. No one knew him well enough by his face. Like we have a little excuse today because the beautiful mask. There's no mask then. But he didn't have any relationships close enough for people to recognize, oh, yes, that's you. They argued over if it was really the guy or not. What a sad state. What, what a horrible condition to be in. To be a place where no one really knows who you are. Students, I'm going to challenge you. At the lunchroom, I know it's crazy these days, in your classroom... Parents, families, workers, wherever you go, you need to look for the person who needs relational connection. We're starved for relationship, particularly in this day and time. We've become more isolated and not more together, and it's our task as the people of Christ to make connections to people, to build relationships but not just with friends and community members, but his own family. Can you imagine the strain and the struggle that they had? Whose fault was it? It's always your parents' fault, right? No. But can you imagine that? Who messed up? Mom and dad, did we do something wrong that caused our son to be born? The man... Did I do something wrong or did my parents do something wrong? How did I get in this spot? Can you imagine the strain that put on their family dynamic that their parents, his parents couldn't even help him financially? What, what, a, what a horrible situation. And those are the situations that Jesus steps right into. Those are the situations that Jesus calls us to step right into to bring the light of the world. The guilt, the shame, the hurt, the hopelessness, the frustration. And in our culture, it's sometimes hard to see those who are begging and hurting. Because we do a great job not just physically masking, but metaphorically as well. Because we have a nice house, our kids go to great schools. We got it all together and we mask it easily. But Jesus has called you and me to step into the messiness of life, to be that disciple making missionary, to go and to bring hope to the world. And He finds us. He finds us wherever we are, just like He found this man wherever He was on the street by the temple or wandering around afterwards because he had been kicked out 
He finds us wherever we are. And so I wonder, are you finding people? Are you seeking? Are you going after them? Because the people that you and I connect with on a daily basis, they're probably begging for something. But they may not even know what they really need. And so let's step into their lives and help them see their real need to display the glory of God, that the works of God might be displayed through us just like they were displayed in Jesus. And so I wonder, why has God placed you and your family here in this little tri-county area of ours where Galveston, Harris, and Brazoria County all converge with Friendswood and Alvin and League City and Pearland and Houston why has God placed you right here? Why are you passing through this region of the world in this time, in this era, in your house? Why are you there? I would dare argue that you're there to display the mighty work of God. That's why God has you right here. That's why you're a ninth grader at Friendswood High School. That's why you work in a chemical plant. That's why you're a teacher. That's why you retired here to be closer to your kids and grandkids. So the mighty work of God could be displayed in you. So that you could help people find Jesus and bring light into darkness, which is exactly what he does to bring light into darkness. He doesn't just take the man's blindness away. He gives him a whole new life, and that's what we're called to do. This man didn't matter to anybody. He didn't matter to anybody. Now I want to encourage you today, if that's you, and you don't feel like you matter to anybody today, Please hear me, whether you're online or in this room. You matter to God. He loves you. He loves you enough to reach into your life and the darkness and the struggle and the frustration of your life and bring light and life to it. He loves you. And so whether you're 12 here today and struggling with that, or 16, or 19, or 49, or 89. He loves you and wants to bring light and life into your life. He loves you. And his great calling for you is to show his love and to share his light with others. And so my question for us as we wrap up this beautiful, freezing, cold Valentine's Day is to whom are you being sent? Who has God called you to pass by? Who are you shining your light to? Where is your light shining? Have you hidden it under a bushel? No way, I hope. No way. No way. The crazy thing about this guy is that he was attempting to be a disciple-making missionary even before his faith was fully formed. 
Jesus heals him. And then he gets taken to the temple and he asks the Pharisees, hey, do you want to be his disciple too? And then afterwards he meets him and says, Lord, yes, I believe. I want to worship you. Yes, you're the son of God. He was a disciple-making missionary and he never went to one Bible study. He was a disciple-making missionary and never went to one share your faith seminar. He was a disciple-making missionary and never went to one men's group. He had a testimony, a story. I was blind and now I see. And if you're a follower of Christ, that's your story. For me, that story began 36 years ago this week. I was a blind eighth grader. And on a Friday night, my eyes were opened to the light of the world. And so can we not, with that simple testimony, to bring love and hope and light to our world, look for people that we pass by and pause for just a minute to bring hope to them, to bring care to them, to bring encouragement to them, to help them take off their metaphorical mask and to receive the love of Jesus. That's our calling. That's who we are. That's the people of God so that his mighty works might be displayed. If God has opened your eyes to his love, then let's help others see the light of the world. Will you pray with me?